Advent hope and Advent peace, and we'd been in John 8, and Ian did a great job last week. And so we're journeying now to this theme of Advent love, the pink candle representing love and all that love brings to the story. And here's, here's kind of the theme for the message this morning. I want to talk about how Jesus comes to us in the gap. Are you living in the gap this morning? The gap between expectations and reality. You been there? Are you there this morning? Were you expected life? Like Jen Aldridge is saying, she expected her marriage to be this. She expected her family life to be this. She expected 2018 to be this way. Reality's been this way, and there's a gap. Or maybe it's something on the work front, on the career front. You expected your career one way, or on the health front, on the, on the body front, you expected it to be this way. Or how about on the ministry front or the faith front, you expected God to come through this way. Your expectations have been here, and your reality has been here. And that gap sometimes is days, sometimes is weeks, sometimes is decades. And how is Jesus coming to you and to me in the gap? This is John 9. Here's the setting, all right? John 9, verse 1, as he, Jesus, went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened, underline this in your Bibles, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So you see, here's the disciples, they're saying, hey, they see this child born blind and they immediately conclude that blindness is punishment because the Jews actually believed a child could sin in the womb. So that's why they say, did this child sin or did his parents sin? They actually believe the child could sin in the womb. Some of you raising children who fully believe that, that that sin could happen in the womb, but you with me? So they're, they're going, hey, this guy's born blind. You're the Messiah. Messiah blindness meets punishment. Jesus turns and says, hey, this blindness isn't punishment. This blindness is possibility. And could it be that the gap you're experiencing between expectations and reality, that gap that you may have been receiving as either punishment or some type, and that maybe God says, I want to turn today. I want you to see this Advent season that there's a possibility for the work of God to be displayed in the gap. And so I put in your notes just a brief little theology of suffering because when we get into this chapter and you listen to a story like Jen's, it's good to remind ourselves of some core tenets the Bible teaches about suffering and hardship. And the first tenet is this. Some of the suffering we experience in life is self-inflicted. We bring it upon ourselves. We make choices and choices have consequences. Students, this is what your parents and your teachers are always talking to you about. Choices come with consequences. Those consequences sometimes are painful. And you look in the mirror and you say, some of the suffering is just self-inflicted. I made some decisions and led myself to this reality. But not all suffering is that way. Some of it is simply God-initiated. Some of it has nothing to do with the choice or decisions you have been making, but it was thrust upon you. And thirdly, most suffering is kind of covered in mystery. And have you heard me say many times around here, mystery is not the absence of meaning, but the presence of more meaning than we can comprehend. And for some of you this morning, that's exactly the reality you're living. You've been looking for answers. You've been calling out for perspective. And God's maybe given you an ounce or two in this. But for the most part, it's just covered in grand mystery. Why this? Why me? Why now? Why is this my current reality? Couldn't it be any other way? And for the most part, it wasn't a self-inflicted deal. For the most part, you have to say, well, God sits enthroned over this. And I sit here covered with mystery in it. And I have to believe this. There's more going on here than I can comprehend. 
comprehend. It's not meaningless. God is present in this. The work of God can be displayed in this. And that's where the disciples are at the beginning of John 9. There's this baby born who's blind. You're the Messiah. Messiah, blindness, baby. No dots connecting there for them. So either A, you're not the Messiah, or B, you don't have power to do something about it. Jesus changes the formula and said, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to display something in this gap. Can you picture those parents who envisioned all the ways on the birth of their child, right? And you experience the joy of having a child and all that comes with that moment. Can you picture when the parents were thrust then in their expectations of how that was going to be and their reality is they're raising now a blind boy? And how is Jesus coming to them in this gap? Look at verse 6. Having said this, so here's Jesus dealing with the situation. He spit on the ground and he made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Notice man. So our best guess here is this man is now in his 20s or 30s, which tells you what? The gap's gone on for decades, right? Some gap is days, some gap's decades. 20s or 30s, because the Bible would refer to him as a boy if he was younger than that. And in the sequence, you'll see in a moment, he's able to engage in a dialogue in such a way that shows you he's probably a young adult. So 20, 30 years, he's been living with this condition of blindness. And his life has been begging for survival. And Jesus comes to him and says, go. He told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. How about that day? So Pool of Siloam there, I put a picture up here on the screen, right? Here's what the Siloam looks like. It's a reservoir in the south end of Jerusalem, not overly large, kind of 75 feet long or so and fairly narrow. And, and he said, Jesus told him, I want you to think like, um, think of a fountain in Central Park in New York City. That would be the equivalent of kind of Pool of Siloam in Jerusalem. And Jesus put some mud on this guy's eyes, walk into Central Park, go to this fountain and wash it off and you're going to see. And then Jesus steps aside and the man goes forward and does that. And here's what we're going to see now. We're going to look at four different responses, kind of four perspectives of there are four different parties observing the scene and their reaction. Because there is a diversity of reaction to the gap between expectations and reality. And the first group is, look at verse 8, his neighbors. The neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging ask, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Can you see the guy begging? So, no, that's really me. And they're debating, like, is it really this guy? Or is that guy? Hey, no, it's really me. Like, I was the one begging. I was the one who couldn't see. He's trying to convince the neighbors because the neighbors aren't connecting the dots at all. How, verse 10, how then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they ask? I don't know, he said. So you see, Jesus kind of, as he did before, he disappears to the background, and he's, he's going to reappear later on. But here he's, he's removed from the scene. So all the blind man has is the voice. Remember this now in the story. All he has to remember is the sound of the voice of the one who said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. That's all he has to go on. And now he can see. And the neighbors, isn't this true in our lives? Often those closest to us, often those who are kind of nearest to our journey, struggle with believing degrees of change. Struggle with really believing you can go a new direction. You notice this? Like sometimes it's those who are kind of closest to our story. You're like, yeah, it's just a phase. You're going to go back to your old ways. And in here, the neighbors, we're going to put kind of confused category on the neighbors, 
They're just confused about the sequence. They're not quite sure this is even the guy, though he looks like the guy and sounds like the guy and walks like the guy. We're not sure he's the guy because he's confusing because they can't really believe Jesus would heal him. And for some of us, that's our story. Some people in your life would say, I can't really believe that you're the one that's going to, you mean you're on the Jesus train now? Are you kidding me? You're the last one I thought would ever be on the Jesus train. Neighbors confused. Sometimes in our gap, and it's okay to bring our confusion, you might be journeying with the neighbors this morning and say, I'm just confused about why this, why me, and why now. That's where the neighbors are. Notice where the neighbors take their question now. Amazing part of the story. They take it to the Pharisees, verse 13. They brought it, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, why would they do that? Who were the Pharisees in the story? They're supposed to be the religious experts. They're the ones kind of, think, department chair of religion at a major university. They've got all the degrees behind their name. They've got all the letters. They've got, they got all the classes that they're teaching. They've got the books that they're writing. I mean, they're the ones with all the answers. They've got all the answers, all the degrees. They're seen as the religious experts. So the neighbors take their confusion and go to who they think is going to be someone who can clarify things for them. They're going to the Pharisees, the religious police. Well, let's think about how this goes. Verse 14. Now, on the day which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Uh-oh. Verse 15. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. Now, this amazing scene, is it not? Now, if you're leading a religion class that day, and they parade in a family, brings in a blind man who now can see, and everyone knows him because he would have been a beggar, had been well-known. So like, hey, that guy used to be blind, and now he see. You think your class would change that day. You think it would become a really joyful experience. You think there might be some worship and some celebration, and so, Right? And here you've got the leaders of the class, the Pharisees, the religious police, and all they do, they've got their stripes, their whistle, and their flag, and they're blowing their flag, they're blowing their whistle and throwing the flag at what? Sabbath. Are you kidding me? They, they can't rejoice over a blind man who can see. They're consumed with how he violated Sabbath law, and then there were Sabbath spit laws. Did you know that? They couldn't spit on the ground at the Sabbath. How crazy is that? Because it run downhill and create mud. So no spitting, illegal Sabbath spit. Some of you would really struggle with that, you spitters in the room, right? So they're like two flags, two penalties. Hey, you can't spit on the Sabbath and you can't heal on the Sabbath. Ding one, ding two. And so we're calling you out on that. Never mind the fact this guy right in front of you can see. Anybody else? This is amazing. This is why I put in your notes. I love this quote by Flannery O'Connor. It says, this is what I think the theme song for the Pharisees is. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you odd. That's the Pharisees. They've got all the answers. They've got all the books. They know exactly what to say. They can quote the laws. They just don't have the life. They've missed Jesus right in front of them. Do you know religion can do that? Do you know religion can be a barrier to seeing Jesus. You know that, right? Some people deeply devoted to the ways of God are missing Jesus. 
because you're so caught up in how the laws need to be filled out, you lost sight of the person, and this person met Jesus, and he put mud on my eyes. The guy's telling him what happened. They can't hear the story. They're just focused on whistle, flag, stripes, penalty, no spit, no Sabbath. We can't have a conversation. And this guy's running around going, hey, I can see. Give me the microphone. Let me testify. The guy's like, get him out of here. That's the Pharisees, by the way, all through the New Testament. You notice John's gospel? This isn't new in John's gospel. Remember, he showed up at Nicodemus' house, who was kind of like a leader of the Pharisees at night. Remember that? Nicodemus and Jesus having a dialogue? And Nicodemus can't put together what? How you'll be born again. Remember that? So all through John's gospel, there's this interaction between, I want you to think about this now. So who's really blind in this story? Who's really the one struggling to see? Is it the guy who was born blind? Or is it now those who believe they've always seen? So here's a theme all through Scripture. Those who claim to have a corner on the spiritual truth market might in fact be the most blind. And those who know they've got no idea about the spiritual, they might be the ones who've been given sight. The woman caught in adultery who's drugged before Jesus, right? And they're all, all the religious leaders around, they're ready to thrust their stones. Who's really blind there? Jesus said, hey, wait a minute. If you're without sin, go ahead and sling it. Who can see and who, huh? and it's the woman who was caught in adultery who leaves and finds grace and finds, she sees the kingdom of God and the religious leaders are going back to class and they've got a whole other chapter to write in a book because they don't know what to do with that scene. And here's another one, John chapter nine. What do we do with this? So if the neighbors are confused, the Pharisees are frustrated. And religion can do that to you. Some of you, that's your own story. Some of the biggest barriers some of you have had to work through is you've had to unlearn some of your religious upbringing, perhaps done with a pure motive somewhere along the way, but it became so many barriers to you seeing Jesus, getting so caught up in religion that we miss Jesus. That's the Pharisees in the story. And when you're living in the gap, that can be a really difficult barrier to work through because religion's supposed to help. And in this case, it's becoming a hindrance. So the neighbors are confused, Pharisees are frustrated, so now where do they go? So the neighbors go to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees go to parents. They're like, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going home to mom and dad. Verse 18, the Jews did, still did not believe that the blind man had, had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Verse 19, is this your son, they ask? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now he can see? I want you to underline in your Bibles, verse 20. We know, underline we know, he is our son. The parents answered. And underline this. We know he was born blind. Verse 21. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. I love this. He'll speak for himself. Verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Are you kidding me? So the leaders of the church, the synagogue of that day, had already decided, kick Jesus out of the church. Oh boy, that's a whole nother sermon for another day. But just give me like 30 seconds on this issue, right? Do you know what what can happen to us in religious circles? We get so caught up in doing our life, our synagogue way, we kick Jesus out. 
We've already decided. You make judge and jury about how Jesus is going to work. They won't even let Jesus in the sanctuary of the synagogue. Are you kidding me? Anyone who claims that Jesus is the Christ, you're out. See, they've already concluded. They've already sized up who Jesus is and how he's going to work. And so who's really blind here? They can't see Jesus right in front of them healing a blind man. And the guy who used to be blind is seeing him with crystal clarity. That's just like Jesus to tell this story. And that can happen today. And let it never be so for this body of people, right, church? That Jesus is always the center of what this place is about. And he has freedom to do whatever he wants to do. His way above every other way. Even if it doesn't align with our preferences. In this case, their preferences were trumping Jesus. Let it never be so today, right, gang? We all have preferences. Let's find out preferences. Make sure we lay them down at the feet of Jesus. He's always welcome to do what he wants, how he wants, when he wants. And you hold us to that as a body. Make sure Jesus is always the center of everything that goes on here. Because clearly in religious circles, it can get off the rails. Because somewhere along the way, they've been deeply devoted. Are you kidding me? They taught classes about the Messiah, and now they're kicking the Messiah out of the church. So lest we think we're beyond this error, right? And so I put in my notes here, I think the parents teach us, right? If the neighbors teach us about confusion and the Pharisees teach us about frustration with religion, I think the parents teach us about what do you do when you hit this place where you, you, can't, you don't know something, you just don't know. You, you journey through, right, what you don't know by staying anchored to what you do know. That's what you do here. Do you notice how they said, here's what we know. We know he's our son. We know he's born blind. There's you go. You know this. So some of you going through Advent 2018, like Jen Aldridge's story, here's all the stuff we don't know. You take all the stuff you don't know. I don't understand this. I can't put this together. I can't figure this out. You lay all the I don't knows and I don't understands and why me and why this and why now. You lay all that down at the feet of this. What do you, do? What do you know? What you know is this. You heard it from Jen's mouth, right? I know the character of God. I know God is sovereign. I know he is faithful. I know he is good, and I know he's going to get the last word. You stay anchored to that while you journey through all you don't know. You with me? That's what you do. And for some of you, that's right now, that's your action item. Right now, in the midst of everything you don't know about Advent 2018, here's what you do know. Jesus is the light of the world. He came to this darkness. He is good and faithful. The waiting was very long. He was faithful, and he gets the last word. He got the last word there. When he came as the Messiah, and he'll get the last word in you and me and our circumstances and in John 9. He will get the last word. It will most likely be longer and harder than we ever imagined, but rest in this. He will get it. And that's where the parents are. Hey, here's what we don't know. We have no idea how this happened, but here's what we do know. He's our son, and he was born blind, and now he can see. Go talk to him. So while you're journeying through what you don't know, hold on to what you do know. Stay anchored to that. And then they finally come to the blind man, verse, verse 24. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. See all the conclusions they've made about Jesus. He's not a welcome in the church, and he's a sinner. How ironic is that? The one who is without sin is the one called sin. Who is really blind in the story? And he been been on the receiving end of that? Someone full of sin accusing you of sin and going, hey, Jesus has a word. Go look in the mirror here. Who's the sinner in this story? And eventually this is the crowd who's going to chant in a few weeks from this moment, crucify him. 
Do you see how this built? Crucify him. This is the crowd. He's a sinner. He's not allowed in the church. We've got to shut this Jesus train down. Blind man. Imagine how the blind man's probably got tired of saying this story over and over again. Blind man, we've got some more questions for you. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, here's what the blind man said. I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did, he, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Yes, I love that line. I love the irony of a blind beggar counseling the chair of the religious department. Do you want on the Jesus train too? There's a seat for you. Come on. I love that. That's just like God to do that. This is when the apostle Paul says he takes the weak things and the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, right? This is God's way. Those of you who feel least likely and least qualified to testify about the glory and greatness of Jesus, you're a first-round draft pick in God's eyes. It's those who feel like they're kind of plenty of letters and degrees and qualified in whatever department and where the and, and carry that what you know, hey, that group, they should be the ones concerned about blindness. Those who absolutely know they're blind, they're the ones, hey, that's Jesus. He's going to pick them. And our story is just like the blind man's story. Don't we, aren't we all right here in this story in verse 25? I was blind, but now I see. If you know Jesus during Advent this year, is that not your story and mine? Do you remember before you met Jesus? Do you remember how dark it was? Do you remember how desperate it was? What do I do with my sin? And then you met Jesus, and now you see. Now you know what to do with your sin. You found a Savior who'll be a companion. He'll be Emmanuel, God, with you. He's not expecting perfection. He just wants intention of your heart. Will you go his way? Will you trust him? Will you surrender? You've met this Jesus. We're just like that blind man there. And then the blind man says to the scholars, hey, you want in? There's a seat for you too. Picture the blood pressure inside of that. I just find that face. I mean, it had to be red and ah. I mean, just, you gotta love that. I love the Bible. The stories like this. It's gotta be God's book. Where else would you have stories like this? Amazing. So look what Jesus, now here's the scene. So they, they boot him out of the church. They boot the blind man out. So Jesus has already been kicked out of the church. They boot the, boot the blind man out of the church now because he just called out the leaders. So he's out. Jesus now is going to step in. This is where we draw this to a close. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, don't you love this? Jesus goes and finds him. Picture this. He said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus answered, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Church, do you see this? Can you picture the expression on the blind man who now sees? Can you picture his face? What did he have to go on since he was healed? He went on what phrase? Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Can you picture every setting he was in? He was just in a crowd listening for what? The tone of that voice. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And then, and then he's in this scene. He gets kicked out of the church with this. He's just trying to testify about what happened. And this voice comes to him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And can you, inside of him, right? Right? Can you picture what must be coming to life there, right? Inside of him, like, wait, is this the one? It sounds like the same voice, same tone, same measure. I think he might be the one. Who is he, sir? The one speaking to you is he. And immediately inside, Lord, I believe and I worship you. 
Look at this journey in the story for how his view of Jesus. It started in verse 11 when he called him a man. Verse 17, he was a prophet. Verse 33 says he's sent from God. And now verse 38, he's Lord and Messiah, and I believe and I worship you. So if the neighbors were confused and the Pharisees were frustrated and the parents are curious, the blind man, amen and hallelujah, he's convinced. This is the Savior of the world. And I was blind and now I see. And he's the one responsible. And I believe and I worship you. So how ironic is it that the crowd says, Jesus If you're the Messiah, there's no way this child should be born blind. And Jesus says, wait a minute. I am the Messiah. And he was born blind so he could see. And so maybe for you, Advent 2018, where's your gap this morning? You got a gap this morning? Anybody living in the middle of a gap? You expected, you hoped, you dreamed, and here's your reality. And here's the question for the morning. Maybe this morning, Jesus takes some mud, wipes it on your eyes, says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Go wash. I want you to see. See what? How I'm coming to you in the gap. Because he's coming. He's coming to you and me in that gap with what? Advent love, Advent hope, Advent peace. He's coming and our role is to see and sometimes we just get covered up under all kinds of layers. And maybe this morning we get to see. So worship team, why don't you come back up? We're gonna wrap up with a final song here and I'm gonna lead us in a prayer in a moment. I was just thinking about this time of year, you know, and we think about stewarding the story of Advent and the entry of Jesus into the darkness and bringing light. Perhaps today's that day. Whatever darkness you're walking through, this day, this moment, Jesus says, I can bring light. Let's pray together. Lord, we just uh, pause now and thank you so much for preserving this amazing story of John 9. Thank you for, I love the innocence and the the simplicity of faith of the blind man. I love how his story gave you glory, how he just kept stewarding his story. And I just think of every single one of us here and all those joining us online this morning, wherever you're at, wherever you're listening, your story for his glory, just thinking about the ripple effect of that, what might happen if we just simply testify, this is what Jesus has done in my life. I once was blind and now I see. And so I pray now by the power of your spirit, if they're just right now, would you just take some of that, that mud and, and wash by the spirit in the pool of Siloam right now, Lord, would you lift up our eyes and help us to see some living in a gap that they never imagined living. Help us to see how are you coming to us in this gap? Come, Jesus, by the power of your spirit. Bring your hope, bring your love, bring peace into this. God, we desperately need you. Open our eyes. May this be the season 
where we join the blind man and say, Lord, I believe and I worship you. It's all you have to do. If you've never called out from your heart to Jesus, all you have to do is say, Lord, I believe. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died for me. And you just call out and say, Jesus, save me. Fill me with your spirit. I want to live for you. It's all you have to do. Just call out, Jesus, save me. I want to see. Or maybe it's a returning for you. Maybe it's something you've known and you've been raised and you've kind of been grounded in the story for a long time. But if you were honest, you've strayed a long ways. And today, this moment, you can come home. Just return. Just say, Lord, I want to come back. Forgive me. Lead me. Bring me home. And it's just a returning. And you just get to start again. And you just join the blind man. Lord, I believe. And I worship you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.